0: Hello friends, today I've got a great interview for you, especially those of you who are concerned about current economic conditions and you may have had trouble with creditors and you're struggling to pay your bills or you've got clients who are struggling to pay your bill. Today we're talking to Jeffrey Bast. He's a bankruptcy attorney in Miami and Jeff is a good friend of mine. He's been practicing insolvency law for more than 25 years. He represents clients in bankruptcy and bankruptcy avoidance. He also helps with business reorganizations. He does workouts, creditors' rights issues, commercial litigation, both in and out of bankruptcy proceedings. Jeff is a great lawyer. He's actually one of my go-to people for any business dispute. He has been a lawyer for I think 26, 27 years now. And after law school, he completed two bankruptcy judicial clerkships in Texas and in Florida. And he then practiced in the restructuring group at two international law firms. These are brand name firms. You'd know them if I mentioned them. He's a frequent speaker and writer, both in the U.S. and abroad. He speaks in Europe at least once a year on bankruptcy related topics and all topics related to commercial litigation in the US. He's been recognized by his peers and numerous publications for personal and professional excellence. He's one of my favorite people to talk to about business issues. Join me in a terrific interview on bankruptcy, creditors' rights, and any issues related to struggling with bills during this unusual time. Sit back and relax as we speak with Jeffrey Bast. Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Interview Series on the Do This Sell More Show. Today we have my friend Jeffrey Bast with us. I just did Jeff's introduction, so you heard all about the great things that he's done. He's the perfect person for us to talk to during this time because many of you are coming to me with questions uh, and you have a lot of uncertainty about how to handle creditor situations during this difficult time we're recording this at the end of may in 2020 so if you're listening to this a year later and you're thinking to yourself wow i'm glad i'm out of that congratulations um if you're listening to this now and you're wondering what to do the one thing i want you to come away with is you're not alone a lot of people are feeling the way you're feeling and we're going to talk to an expert on how to handle situations with your creditors today And you'll get some insight, but the most important thing for you to realize is that there are systems and processes that are set up to kind of help you and give you some guidance along the way. And really what we're going to do is we're going to pick Jeff's brain about these things today. So Jeff... Welcome. Tell people how you got into being a bankruptcy attorney in the first place. And then I want you to tell us why you're in your own practice now, because you could be you're a great lawyer. You could be working anywhere. So how did you get into bankruptcy as a practice in the first place?
1: Um, Well, that's a I'll give you the, the short version is I was an accounting major in college. When I went to law school, I thought I would study tax. I was at one of the top tax schools in the country. And I took the tax class and I hated it. And so somebody suggested to me, well, the bankruptcy code is kind of like the tax code. Why don't you check out that? And the rest is history. Uh, After law school, I quit for a bankruptcy judge. And by the way, my tax class was taught by the former commissioner of the IRS at the time. Great guy, really smart, not a good teacher. Uh, He turned me into a bankruptcy lawyer unintentionally. So... After law school, I clerked for a bankruptcy judge out in Texas, and then I came to work in Miami for a a district court judge handling exclusively bankruptcy appeals for another year, and after that, I went to work at uh, at Big Law. I worked at uh, Holland and Knight, and then after that, Huntington and Williams. I was an equity partner at both firms, and in 2008, uh, in the beginning of 2008, I decided to embark on my own journey, not because I was unhappy and had to leave Big Law or or anything, I was very well compensated and very happy. And uh, I just felt like I needed a new challenge in my life. I was getting ready to turn 40. So I decided to start my own firm. And after I did that, I met my future business partner, Brett Amron, who had done the same thing around the same time. And we were sharing best practices and and eventually sharing office space. And we decided to form a firm in 2009. And here I am, Uh, we just celebrated our 11th Anniversary, and we, are, we have eleven lawyers, and um, a rather successful and boutique litigation and insolvency practice.
0: So, well, congratulations on eleven years. That's terrific. That's wonderful. And, and I remember meeting you in a, in a similar economic situation. We met in the end of two thousand eight, the beginning of two thousand nine. How is this different from that situation? What are you What are you seeing now mm-hmm. in the you know, the COVID, the coronavirus um, economic downturn that makes it different from 2008, 2009, from a business owner perspective?
1: Um, Well, I don't think there's really anything that we've ever experienced that's like this. I mean, there's so many unique features of this this crisis, but I guess the number one issue is that it is a, a crisis which has no limits. Virtually every business, every industry, every um location you know there's nobody that's outside the the, the purview of this uh, of this virus and, and the economic outfall in 2008 it was much more uh, focused it was a real estate driven um problem so it was much more narrow i mean there was still a domino effect you know when there's a when there is a, um, a downturn in any economic sector that downturn will have an impact which is much more broad-reaching and so real estate had impacts on uh, you know other industries that were that, that do business with construction and and others that are related to real estate but this one is just um you know all-encompassing one and then the second thing is that there really is no currently anyways no vision to the other side what does the end of this thing look like what does the future hold and a lot of people are predicting what what will happen and how this thing ends and what it looks like after but we really don't have a great lens to that are there going to be sporting events will there be people in the audience when the next concert going to be uh and that those types of um you know questions really affect so many industries, so many employees. Look at kids that are in college, or how are they going to find jobs when all the uh, experienced employees out there are looking for jobs at the same time? So it's um, it's really unique and and and, and quite challenging.
0: When um, when this first started, you and I actually one of the one of the very first days of this, you and I were on the phone talking, and you said to me, "Well, I guess I'm going to be getting a lot of phone calls soon." Um, What in the last couple of months, what um, what has the volume of uh, inquiry for bankruptcy attorneys been like? And is it uh, is it across all the industries or is there one industry in particular or a couple of industries? What is what is your what is your situation, your call volume been like?
1: My call volume has multiplied exponentially, Um, you know, in a month where I might have Three to five new calls i'm having three to five new calls a week you know um maybe more 10, 10 to 12 new calls a week it's really multiplied rapidly um but i think i don't think we have seen the real influx yet i do still believe that the stimulus is you know working as a temporary patch but i think in the next four to six weeks when the stimulus wears off we will see an even greater uptick um, because even as businesses reopen, uh, the re- the, that doesn't mean the, the people are coming, uh, at least retail services, things like that, um, you know, movies, entertainment, uh, gaming, uh, those places, they might reopen, but that doesn't mean the people are going to come in the seats. And so they have to really, these businesses are going to have to rework their entire their entire model, because in large part many of their expenses are fixed. But if the revenues are cut in, down to a fraction, uh, or a restaurant, for example, they're only going to be able to seat a fraction of what they would ordinarily be able to seat. But kitchen staff still requires a certain, you know, volume of uh, uh, staffing and and, um, and um, you know, inventory, food supplies, and so that they're going to have to. Every business is really going to have to rethink the way they do they do their business um so
0: with you 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 guys work on either the creditor side or the debit or the debtor side um you can also work for uh, the trustees i would imagine and you tell me your the the debtor work that you guys do has picked up dramatically have you gotten calls from creditors too who are wondering what the hell they're gonna do
1: Yeah, we are, we have picked up everywhere. Um, We've gotten a number of debtor calls. There are some that have not, um, I would say matured yet for the reason I just explained, they just, they, you know, they talk to us, then they get their uh, approval for their payroll protection program, PPP. When they get that check that, that buys them a few more months. And so they say, I'll call you back in a couple of months. I would encourage them to stay in contact and retain us early so we can start exploring options earlier. Uh, but the the other side of that coin is uh, on the creditor side, I would say I've seen a, an uptick more so with lessors, landlords than anyone else. Um, we've seen a tremendous uptick in landlord representation as a result of the, you know, the fallout retail stores closing, restaurants closing, um, mom and pops or a lot of mom and pops are just not going to be able to make it through this. And so landlord engagements have, you know increased dramatically for us um, yeah. some some of them in large you know large national cases and some like i said with small local local tenants so it's a it's a challenging time and of course you know they they were exempt from ppp so landlords are not entitled to get those um those those, those forms of stimulus with the theory that it's going to flow through to them from their tenants but that doesn't always happen so those tenants are are holding on to their cash naturally, and they should be should be doing that. Um, but the landlords are in a tough position because they're attempting to negotiate with with tenants. But typically, your negotiation leverage is when there's another when there are other tenants or other possible possibilities for tenants out there. But right now, the landscape for new tenants is, is pretty much non-existent.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the the smaller business because that's who that's who listens to the show that's who's watching on uh, on YouTube. So one of the things that will happen there's I, I liken this type of economy to like stages of grief, right? So the the first stage is you're you're in denial that this is really as bad as it is, and then and you miss one or two payments on something, and then all of a sudden. You look and you've missed one or two payments across like seven different things, your credit cards, your mortgage, your your uh, your rent for your facility. Um, you know, you're you're only paying what you absolutely have to pay. What do you you're you've given good advice. I've heard you give good advice to a lot of people over the years. When creditors start calling, first of all, explain to people that the bankruptcy process or the process of being in this situation, business or personal, it hurts, but you got to suck it up and you got to face the reality. True or false?
1: True. hundred percent. I mean, I've always, this is not, you're not, not unique to this situation. Ignoring your problems is not going to make them go away. They're only going to grow worse. And, and uh, they, they are just not, they can't be ignored. And so the difference is now in this climate, everybody is having the same conversation. You are just not alone. I always tell my clients, you're not alone because it's true. They're not alone. But in this climate, it's never been truer than today. Right. In this environment, they are just not alone. And so my, my uh, you know, I don't know if you remember, but I wrote an article many, many years ago called pick up the phone stupid. And it's just about communicating with your creditors. Cause so many, I had so many clients over the years tell me that they've been ignoring the phone call. Sometimes they come in with a box of, of, letters unopened envelopes they don't even open the letters from their creditors so we don't even know what kinds of surprises are in store for us but uh, i always advise them, particularly in this climate communicate over communicate communicate with your creditors and i think most clients who follow that advice are really pleasantly surprised that in this environment creditors are generally receptive particularly if they communicate When you communicate and let the client creditor know here's what's happened i've closed my operations i'm not generating revenue but you know the the state has authorized us to reopen here's my plan i I, this is how much time i need you make the request you communicate with your creditor and you do the best you can and in most instances i've i understand that in this environment most creditors are showing some willingness to be flexible um so, yeah, you know, I one know of the exactly things one of the
0: things mean. that we've one of the things that we've heard from a lot of the a lot of our clients is communicating with a creditor and saying to them, "Listen, here's the situation. Here's what we're anticipating will happen once we're allowed to open our business again." If it's been a couple of months, that may stop them from filing a lawsuit and you may be able to buy yourself a couple of months without a lawsuit hanging over your head, which is if 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 you've never been through it you don't want to you'd rather deal with the creditor one on one than have to respond to a lawsuit which has rigid timelines and involves then you having to get representation in order to make sure that you're not you know going to going to lose your shirt i mean that communication could be the difference between buying you a couple of months in in, in litigation and maybe working something out if you ignore the phone call you give people no choice but to go to the worst possible option.
1: Right. Well, I think what happens is when you ignore the phone call, I mean, this is human nature. We automatically, you know, we look for patterns in our in our lives. And as human beings, we look for patterns. And so if you're a creditor and you're contacting someone and they're just, you can't reach them. They're ignoring your calls and they're not responding to your emails and they're not responding to letters you automatically assume the worst because that's what your past experience has told you, that those who avoid them, those debtors, those borrowers who avoid their creditors are up to no good. And so not right off the bat, and this is a common problem in my practice. When I come in for a debtor, oftentimes the first thing I have to do is overcome the presumption of guilt from my client and overcome the misinformation and the assumption. So creditors, when they don't have information, they just assume something must be wrong. Something must have happened. The guy must have, the, the company must have stolen the money or whatever it is. They're going to make assumptions. And why do that? Why not communicate with the creditor? Tell them what's happening. Tell them you have a plan. Tell them you don't intend to walk away from the business. You do intend to pay. Creditors just they, creditors want two things. First, they want to get paid obviously that's number one they lent money or they've advanced product or services and they want to get paid but the other is they want to maintain their customer they want to maintain the business relationships if you're you're a a, if you buy a product from a vendor that that you're a customer for that vendor they don't want to lose the money and lose their customer and so i think a lot of people even a bank even you're a customer of the bank you owe money to a bank you're not just uh, a, a credit you're a, you're a customer and so nobody wants to lose money and lose the customer and the best way to do both is to just ignore the problems.
0: Yeah all right so in this situation it's uh, it's really different. you said it it's different than anybody's ever seen before. and what what people are telling us now and what we're seeing is you're reaching out to the creditors, you're having conversations with the creditors and everybody's in the same boat. So you tell people, look, my business is reopening, you know, this week, and we don't know what demand is going to be. I have a plan in place to open at 25%. Let's say you're a restaurant. I'm going to open at 25% for a month, and in the second month, we'll open maybe at 50%, and we'll be able to then start paying something. So you know can we can we take a month and just you know wait to revisit this and creditors are being actually relatively good about that in this environment what happens if you're in a situation where you look at your business and you know that for the next 3 or 4 months or maybe even longer 5 months 6 months demand isn't going to be at a place where you may be able to you may be able to cover some of your expenses like your fixed costs and some payroll just to keep the business operating but that loan you got from the bank you don't think you're going to be able to make payments for six months What does that person do when they when they see, look, I've got, you know, I did five covers, 10 covers last night in my restaurant and I need to do 150 covers a week. Well, I'm only going to do 55 covers a week and that 150 covers just gets me to 25 percent profit margin. So now if I do 75 covers, I just break even. Maybe I'll make that in a month and a half. What do you you know, is it? Are you looking at a situation where it's better to just close your doors now, or do you keep trying to put the creditor, that one creditor, the big creditor, off? Like, how do you assess your situation?
1: Yeah, I mean that's um, that's a difficult. If I could answer that question just in this way, then maybe people wouldn't need me. Um, But it's uh, you know that it's a great question, and I get it all the time. A lot of a lot of uh, debtor clients or potential debtor clients want me to answer that for them. And I always put you back to them. What do you want? Can you make this go? Can you make this work? Do you want to make it work uh, in this way? And so the, the, the question is answered by the client's desire. And a lot of a lot of clients have come to me and said, I'm done. I don't have the stomach for this. I can't sleep. And, and there's certainly value in a good night's rest. And so I you know, work with those clients to try to find the most effective way to wind down the business a large portion of our business is liquidation. And as you, you mentioned before, we often represent trustees. One of my partners is a bankruptcy trustee, so we're often on the side of of the folks who are liquidating the businesses. Um, but for those who want to make it work and think that they can, then I encourage them to do exactly what you said. Figure out the plan, communicate with your creditors, buy as much time as you can. You know, on, on the one hand, they, they, they can often buy a lot of time Without having the, the specter of litigation hanging over them, but just because you owe a bunch of money and you're and you're piling on the debts, that doesn't mean it ends. It doesn't just end. A lot of a lot of business owners don't understand the mechanics of how you know business failure occurs. It occurs by a creditor or multiple creditors actually filing lawsuits, getting judgments, and then when they get judgments, they can execute on assets, um, including accounts receivable and and other and physical assets. But that doesn't, that's not an automatic event. That doesn't happen overnight. That's a process that takes time too. So even if you've run out of room, run out of a leash with your, with your creditors, if they say we're only giving you 30 more days, uh, that doesn't mean on day 30, if it's over, they don't just walk in and, and change the doors. They you know, change the locks on the doors. They have to file lawsuits are a process there are processes and procedures and there still may be options. Even after a judgment, we've represented many clients who already have a judgment entered uh, against them. There still may be options to try to save the the businesses through formal insolvency proceedings, bankruptcy proceedings. But our strong preference is to get to those clients before, uh, before the options are more limited. So when they contact us earlier, we can hopefully negotiate with creditors um, and I like to say that when a client is negotiating with a creditor, typically they have very little leverage because they just owe a bunch of money and they don't really have a way. But I'm, a, I'm an equalizer and you bring me to the table. I have the ability to um, level the playing field somewhat because through a bankruptcy proceeding, we can't either um, we can typically stretch that creditor out over a long period of time. And in some instances, we may be able to reduce the amount that they might recover. Um, but there's not really a one-size-fits-all type of approach to those, to that, you know, to your question, to each business. How, how long do I keep it? It's also impacted. That question is also impacted by um, third-party obligations. So it's very easy to shut down a business and walk away, but shutting down the business or filing a bankruptcy for the business doesn't necessarily impact personal guarantees, as an example. So, if all the debts have been personally guaranteed, putting the company through a bankruptcy doesn't necessarily protect the individual who has guaranteed those obligations. Sometimes a business has done, has transacted, has made, has executed transactions with insiders or affiliates or family members or uh, conducted other insider transactions; those could be impacted in a bankruptcy. So, there's a lot of. Um, there are many different factors to consider when evaluating options for a debtor either before bankruptcy or before, uh, litigation or after litigation. Uh, we will look at all of that. You know, we do a full blown diagnostic before I, um, we'll put a business into bankruptcy from our perspective, though, formal bankruptcy proceedings are an option of last resort. We're always going to explore non-judicial alternatives for any client. That's, that's, that's not even bankruptcy. That's not limited to bankruptcy. That's litigation. Any time I can keep a client out of court, I will try to do that. Oftentimes, we can't do that. I, I make a living in courtrooms. The attorneys in my office spend most of their time in courtrooms, litigation or bankruptcy. Um, but if we can keep a client out of court, we will always pursue that alter- alternative first.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned uh, personal guarantees and most small businesses have personal guarantees on some of the stuff that they've, that, that either the equipment they've purchased or leases they've signed and that sort of thing. So if the, you know, if the business file, first explain to people about different types of bankruptcies, right? Cause yeah. nobody, nobody knows what a sure. chapter 11 or a chapter seven or a chapter 13 is. What, what, what is all that? Right.
1: So I'll give a very quick cause we can spend a lot of time on this, but, uh, essentially, uh, since you mentioned chapter 13, I'll mention that one first, but chapter 13 and chapter 11 are reorganization programs and for in 13, it's for a wage earner who will file a bankruptcy and formulate a plan to pay their creditors over time. Um, and chapter 11 is the sort of the business uh, business, uh, uh, corollary to chapter 13. Um, they're very very much, they're not very uh, similar, they're very different, but Chapter 11 is reorganization for a business. When a debtor files a Chapter 11, it is a debtor in possession, it remains in control of its business, and it will reorganize, it might change the way it looks through bankruptcy, it may terminate certain of its leases, it might sell off parts of its business, but ultimately the plan would be for the debtor company to emerge. As a reorganized or restructured business with a clean balance sheet, or there, there could be a sale of the whole entire business um, through Chapter 11. But a Chapter 11 debtor is a reorganization. The business is not going to shut down. We, we see uh, lots of retail businesses are in Chapter 11 right now. J. Crew, I think, was the most recent one to file on. Oh no, Hertz, Hertz filed on Friday. Uh, but there are any number of them that are in there. Uh, dozens of uh, name brands that everybody would recognize that are in Chapter 11 right now, that doesn't mean that they're going to shut down. In fact, their intention is to reorganize and survive in some form or fashion. On the other side is liquidation, and liquidation occurs in bankruptcy through Chapter 7. So in a Chapter 7, a business or an individual files, and they essentially hand over the keys to their assets to a court-supervised trustee, and the trustee's job is to secure all those assets turn them into cash, in other words, liquidate them, sell them, turn them into cash, and then pay the creditors. And for individuals, individuals have under state law specific exemptions. So for example, in Florida, we have a homestead exemption. The trustee uh, can't take a debtor's homestead if, if it is a valid, home, if they have a valid exemption. And so other than exempt assets, the trustees turn the assets to the cash and they pay the creditors over time pay the creditors upon liquidation.
0: So, if you if you sign a personal guarantee and you're, you own a restaurant, you sign a personal guarantee on uh, on your on your lease, let's say, and uh, and this happens, right? You can't operate a restaurant because you had fifty seats in the restaurant and you're only allowed to fill you know twenty of them at any time, fifteen of them at any given time, and you can't make money on that. You just can't. It's just not gonna it's not gonna work. So you decide that you're going to have to go out of business, but you've got this personal guarantee. Do you end up personally paying a portion of that lease for like 10 years until it's paid off?
1: Well, hopefully you can negotiate a resolution with the lessor. Uh, But the point, the point I was making before is that solving the problem for the business doesn't necessarily solve the problem for the personal guarantor. In that instance, uh, oftentimes we'll focus more on the individual than, than the business, because at that point, Um, a creditor getting a judgment against the business probably doesn't have much of an impact. There's not really much to lose if the business is shutting down. We still would like to uh, facilitate a a structured wind down of the business so that it doesn't have an adverse impact on the owners and other people. So just walking away is never really a good plan. Uh, That's a pretty common um, you know strategy for a lot of failing businesses I'll just shut down and I'll start another business Uh, you know across the street or sometimes in the same location or whatever it is change the name that does not necessarily cut off creditors because what happens is that the landlord to use your example who doesn't get paid when you just walk away from the business will file a lawsuit They'll get a judgment for the balance of the lease especially if you're not defending so they're going to get a large judgment And then a creditor with a judgment has the right to uh, conduct certain investigations in order to facilitate their collection of their judgment. That means they are able to not only seize assets, but also obtain access to records, bank records, transaction records. They're entitled to take depositions. And ultimately, if they determine that the assets of the company were used to start a new business, new business could be liable for the old business's debt and then as you indicated personal guarantors still on the hook um so it's it's not enough to just walk away from the business and i think very um commonly and if i can make a plug for that my partner and i just we just recorded a webcast a few days ago on our on our podcast um the practice and so we spoke about that very topic So check us out. Uh, Yeah, I'll put
0: it. Send me send me the link. I'll put the link in the show notes to this show so that people can so that people can check that out. Um, All right. So we're we're in a position now where let's say because we're we're in the middle of this. We don't know what the end is going to be. We we may not even be in the middle. We might be in the beginning of this. So people are people are getting these phone calls now, and they negotiate, and their credit card company's giving them three months, and their you know the bank loan they took out is going to give them three months, and they can even get a three month or a two month uh, forbearance on their on the lease on their cars, and you know maybe their their landlord cuts their rent in half for a couple of months, so they they live to fight another day, they live to build their they, they're building their business up. What is your advice to people in? if they're picking and choosing the things that they pay, right, how do they choose what, if, if you have some money to pay some bills but some money not to pay others, how do people figure that out? Um,
1: my advice is to get good advice on that. It's, it's again, not a, an easy answer to that one. I, I always encourage people to hire me or somebody like me. Or talk to their accountant, particularly if the accountant has uh, experience with insolvency situations. Because, uh, and again, this, this this tends to not be as big of an issue and with smaller businesses. But in the time of insolvency, the duties shift. So our typical duties as business owners are to the shareholders. But when uh, a company is insolvent, if it's either not paying its debts as they come due, or not able to do that, or its liabilities are greater than its assets, then those duties shift somewhat. Uh, and, they sh- and the shift is to creditors. And so, uh, and, and I don't expect any business owner to be really focused on on honoring their duties to creditors, but when they start picking and choosing if they pay off the you know the, their cousin who is also a creditor or a family member or something like that, they are preferring one creditor over another and probably breaching that duty. But again, I, I, I don't really expect my uh, you know, small business clients to be able to uh, manage that process alone. And that's one it is really important to get advice from uh, people like me to figure out, you know, if, if you are a company that's picking and choosing who you pay, it's time to contact an insolvency advisor. And I, also, I wanted to mention one thing, Dave, that I forgot to mention before when we were talking about the different options for bankruptcy is that we now have a, I mentioned Chapter 11 and all the large national companies that are in Chapter 11, but we now have a new Small Business Reorganization Act that was uh, approved by Congress back in August of 2019. I don't know if they just saw this coming or what, but it became effective in February, February 19th of this year, the Small Business Reorganization Act. Uh, came into play and it is a much more streamlined and efficient process designed specifically for small businesses. When enacted, it had a cap of approximately $2.5 million in debt. So any business with less than $2.5 million in debt would be eligible for the Small Business Reorganization Act. We call it a subchapter five. So it arises under a subchapter five of the bankruptcy code. So we mentioned 711. This is it's chapter 11, but it's within subchapter five, so we call the subchapter five. But one of the things that the CARES Act did was increase that cap. So the $2.5 million cap now covers up to $7.5 million in debt. So any business that has $7.5 million in debt or less can take advantage of this it's a very debtor-friendly Um, chapter 11 process that's much more streamlined and it takes away a lot of the expenses associated with a typical chapter 11. It has shorter timeframes. So for example, the debtor had 90 days to file a plan. Um, In a a typical bankruptcy, you have have to do it within 300 days, Um, a typical small business uh, uh, filing. So you have 90 days to file a plan, but it has much more liberal requirements um, for a debtor to confirm a plan of reorganization. There's no creditors committee. There's no disclosure statement. I know these I'm throwing out terms that are probably unknown to most, most people that are listening to this podcast, but we're expecting the small business reorganization act in the sub chapter five to be a real valuable tool for this, the businesses that you mentioned before. And, um, you know, we haven't filed one yet because it, it literally just came onto play. Um, but we are, my firm is geared up and ready to, to help out a bunch of small businesses. And I think it will be an effective tool for that.
0: Yeah. So what they've done, it sounds like they've eliminated a lot of the onerous, um, uh, and you know, expensive legal, uh, aspects of the bankruptcy for the small business so that they can figure out their situation, put a plan in place that actually helps them get, you know, get their feet back under them, so to speak. Right.
1: Right. 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 And in a typical bankruptcy that's non-consensual, we have this, one of the major features is we have a thing called the absolute priority rule. And the absolute priority rule dictates that uh, creditors kind of get paid in the order of priority. And at the bottom is equity, the shareholders, the owners of the company. And absolute priority rule says, well, they can't keep their equity if the class above them, the unsecured creditors, don't get paid in full. And so, what effectively happens in a lot of Chapter 11s is the equity has to basically buy the company through Chapter 11. It's not that's a very much an oversimplification, but that rule is eliminated with the Small Business Reorganization Act on so a subchapter five. Uh, that absolute priority rule is not applicable. So that's a tr- that alone is a tremendous
0: uh, wow, yeah, trem-
1: tremendous advantage for debtors. Sure,
0: sure. All right. So to recap, if you're listening to this and you I I will I'm sure there will be a fantastic title to this show that really captivates people and brings them in. So if you came here looking for answers, you're you're up in the middle of the night and you're searching around looking for answers because you've got bills and you can't pay them and you're not sure if you can stay in business. Jeff is here with us today, and his his advice. If I could give you a a, sum, a summary of his advice so far, number one, answer the phone, talk to your creditors, and when you talk to them, see if you can buy yourself some time, or maybe like Jeff, individual creditors may work out a plan with you so that they'll if if you, if the terms where you had to pay me back in a year, they may work a plan with out with you to stretch stretch that over three years and cut your cut your payments down to where they're manageable, right? Individual creditors will do yeah. that.
1: Sure. And I, and I think deferment, you know, deferring, pushing off payments is a lot easier than abatement. So I think I, I, what, I've been, what I've been hearing is that creditors are more willing to delay payments, uh, uh, delay them for a, a period of time rather than just waiving those payment obligations. And, and another thing I mentioned to most clients is if you ask for 90 days and they'll only give you 30, that's OK. Take the 30 and then you'll have another conversation in 28 days and maybe both sides will be much more informed about the future at that time, but you're at least kicking the can down the road and maybe you're in a different situation, maybe the creditor's in a different situation. So get what you can get and don't get upset. It's
0: like <laughs> All right, so before, I from be- my kids. before we finish, I wanna, I wanna talk specifically about credit cards because I've heard you say in the past, look, you know, if you've got credit card debt you don't, you don't necessarily need to listen to the late night guys on TV talking about getting rid of all your credit card debt by filing bankru- Filing for bankruptcy protection. Credit card companies are some of the most willing to negotiate with people, right? They can be.
1: Again, I, I, I just had this conversation with a potential client the other day. I told him not to hire me. He just said, why don't you pick up the phone and call the credit card company, explain to them that your operations have ceased. Tell them that you want to pay, but you can only afford whatever it is you can afford. Most companies, most creditors, credit cards included, will agree to um, a payment plan. If, you, if you're if willing to pay the whole thing, they'll agree to a payment plan over time, usually without interest. You're not going to get to continue to use the card. And others will agree to uh, a lump sum reduction. If you have the ability to borrow money from a family member or something like that, I always encourage people to do that. Pay the credit card. Otherwise, that interest will just compile um, and, and really will end up doubling the amount of the obligation. But communicating with credit card companies can be really effective uh, for, for clients and individuals to do on their own. They don't really need me. We'll do it. We, we do it for clients all the time, but uh, if it's only one or two credit cards, you, you can do that yourself.
0: All right. So tell me um, about the, the stigma associated with bankruptcy. A lot of people and you've seen those of you who are listening have seen if you Google famous people who filed for bankruptcy, you've seen hundreds of people over the years who had a business that didn't work out and they filed for bankruptcy protection and they went on to become successful um what happens to somebody after this right so my business doesn't work I just can't make it work in in this environment and um I take care of the creditors we end up you know everything gets settled to a point where you know I start another business or I go to work for somebody else and I have a plan and I pay it off over time is my life ruined Jeff what happens then no
1: no no Uh, I I think in large part, particularly in this climate, I don't think there really is a stigma associated with bankruptcy. I I think in this day and age, people understand that it's a tool that one, that it doesn't necessarily mean the business is shutting down. um, And two, that everybody understands it, particularly in this climate, that nobody is immune. And and unemployment's at an all-time high, and businesses are just not operating. So... There, I think I'd like to think that there's no stigma associated with filing a bankruptcy, but for the individual who files after they conclude their case, then obviously it's difficult to, to get credit. But there are a lot of programs out there that will help individuals. There are sort of prepaid credit cards that will allow people to restore or secure credit cards that will allow them to store, restore their credit. Um, and if, they, if they've done proper planning, for example, if, uh, if I know a client's going to file a bankruptcy and, and their car lease is up, I'm going to encourage them to get a new lease before we file the bankruptcy because it will be more challenging to get one after. But if they've done some some adequate planning, it's not that hard to get back on your feet. Um, I think obviously there's economic challenges of getting back on your feet, but in terms of uh, credit and the effect of bankruptcy uh, in this climate, I think they are. You know the stigma has has waned, and people can people can get through this.
0: All right. So tell us about the tell us about the podcast you mentioned. What's the name of the show? And they can they can find it on iTunes and wherever podcasts are.
1: Well, it's, what's interesting is it's not on iTunes yet because we had recorded this and planned to roll it out, and um, we had every We had I think eight or nine episodes, and then we just felt like in light of the crisis, it really wasn't the right time. A lot of the topics are. Um, not as sensitive to what's going on. So what my partner and I have been doing more recently is we've just recorded a couple of webcasts that are focused on topics like this one, Dave, that are that are the topics that people are uh, wondering uh, the, the challenges associated with bankruptcy, the fact that bankruptcy doesn't mean you're shutting down, the idea that um, that uh, shutting down the business and just starting a new is not always the, the cleanest and best. Uh, strategy so but it's, it's called the, the practice and it's available on our website at this time and we will be rolling out full-blown podcast really the idea is it's uh, by lawyers for lawyers but now we've sort of shifted the, the focus a little bit to be a little bit more um, um, important because of because of the importance for business owners it's not just lawyers it's all lawyers and business owners at this time
0: all right, so the, the link to the Bass Amron website is in the show notes. You can see it there. You can also find it on the YouTube video description. Jeff, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: Um, shoot me an email uh, and tell me you were introduced to me by Dave Lorenzo. My email address, well, you'll put it in the show notes, but it's my first initial and last name, JBast at BastAMron.com.
0: Okay, perfect. So Jeffrey Bast is a bankruptcy attorney here in Miami, but he can handle cases all over the United States. Bankruptcy is a federal practice. But if you're in Florida, there are some unique things to Florida that Jeff can help you navigate. His firm is also a full-service firm. If you have any type of legal issue, I encourage you to reach out to Jeff. One of the things that I really like about working with Jeff and dealing with Jeff's firm is Jeff is a really sophisticated lawyer, but he makes these concepts very simple. So you just heard him give us a very, very easy to understand description of some very complicated stuff. If you've got a challenge and you're facing a difficult situation, reach out to Jeff. He'll connect with you. He's got a whole team of lawyers that have varying degrees of experience, but they're all trained by him. So they will all handle your matter professionally. So whether you've got a ton of money and you want to protect it, or you're worried that you're going to invest your last $50,000 in hiring attorneys, I want you to reach out to Jeff and get some guidance. Because as we said, this is not a situation that is unique. Everybody's experiencing it, which tells you that there will be a unique situation to your problem. So... If you're going to somebody that hasn't been through an economic downturn in the past, you're probably making a mistake. You need people who've been experienced at handling other recessionary pressures. So this is a different situation, but... Having gone through the Great Recession, Jeff and his team were just starting their firm. They're not, they're not scared. They know they can handle this, even if they have to create new law to do it. So reach out to Jeff. He's definitely going to be somebody who can give you guidance and advice that, if nothing else, will make you feel better. Um, Jeff, thanks for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure.